Well, good evening. Uh, my name is Drew Johnson. I'm a pastor here on staff. And tonight, we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 2. So go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. Um, I'll turn there as well. If you beat me, don't tell me you beat me. Just let me think I won. Uh, pastor Ken is away in uh, Tennessee visiting family, so... Uh, bless him and let him have a, a restful time. I'm excited to teach you guys today, um, and I'm I'm a little bit nervous, but that's okay. So you guys are a forgiving group, right? Kind and gentle and patient with me, just like Jesus, right? Just like Jesus. Okay. Well, go ahead. If you already turned there, Revelation chapter two. We're going to start in verse 18. We're going to look at Jesus's letter to the church in Thyatira. So stand with me if you would like to. And if you're able, and we're going to read verses 18 through 28. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now, I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teachings and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you, except, on, except to hold on to what you already have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter, and I will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your word, uh, which is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, that penetrates the dividing joint and marrow, soul and spirit. And we thank you, God, for your infinite kindness to us. I pray, Lord, that you would teach us today through your word. And God, give me the, the right words to say by leading and guiding of your Holy Spirit. Bless us in this time, and we pray that you'd be well-pleased, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So just to give you a little bit of an update, I actually teach at another church on Sundays. I'm the pastor of Lake Roosevelt Bible Church. And so on Sundays, I'm out there, and Monday through Thursdays, I'm here, and I help uh, Pastor Ken, I take phone calls and answer some emails and do some administrative sort of things, a little organization, so Pastor Ken gets to keep some of his sanity every once in a while. And uh, so for me, I'm teaching through this, uh, this series in Revelation on the seven churches, and, uh, and Thyatira is actually my next church. So this next Sunday, I'm going to be teaching on this passage. And and the Lord just wanted me to teach it. I was working on another sermon earlier this week for tonight, and uh, sometimes the Holy Spirit is like, oh, that's good, but no. <laughs> Not today. Today you're going to be doing something different. Okay, toss it, start a new one. 
Blessing of God is a wonderful thing. But to begin with, we're going to look at, at this passage, but I'm going to, I'm going to turn back to uh, the beginning of Revelation, and we know that, uh, that it's John, the apostle whom Jesus loved, loved who, who actually wrote this down for us. And uh, John, at this time, he was an old man. He was a very old man, and he was exiled to the island of Patmos, a rock in the middle of the Mediterranean. And he's by himself, prisoner on this island, and it's Sunday, and he's worshiping, and he's in prayer. He's praising God. And uh, he has somebody come visit him. So that's nice. On Sunday, somebody comes visit him, and he turns around, and who is it other than Jesus Christ himself? So pretty cool worship service right there, Sunday morning, uh, just him by himself praying, and Jesus shows up. And John says, keep in mind this is John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell dead at his feet. I fell at his feet as though, as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I'm the, I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead. Now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death in Hades. So, so John, the, the apostle whom Jesus loved, turned, seized Jesus in all his glory and his brilliance, and he fell on his face, scared, as though dead. He, he couldn't stand, literally, the sight of Jesus. So he fell on his face, and Jesus comes up with his comforting right hand and says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I got some things that I need to tell your churches out there. So Jesus has these seven churches he wants to address, and he, and he addresses them each by name. And so he starts with Ephesus, which was a great marketplace, moving on to Smyrna, which was a glorious place. It was the, the crown jewel of uh, Asia Minor. And then he goes to Pergamum, a capital city, uh, and then now Thyatira. Thyatira was an inland city, to give you a little history here. It was an inland city located at the crossroads of two main highways. But in reality, Thyatira was probably the least significant city that Jesus talks to here. Of the seven churches, Thyatira is in the smallest city, the least significant city. And yet, it is the central church of the seven letters. Three churches before, three after, and it receives more words from Jesus more concerned from Jesus than any other church. So something so small gets so much attention from Jesus himself. The city was known as a military town. It was a, a garrison at the crossroads, a, a strategic place to occupy. It wasn't a glorious marketplace like Ephesus or a beautiful jewel like Smyrna. It wasn't the administrative capital like Pergamum. However, Thyatira was a place uh, full of trade guilds, uh, a place abounding in craft, uh, so it was a place of hardworking men, hardworking women, respectable, profitable, good workers. So, sort of like us, right? Hardworking people, everyday people. Not a glorious place, we're in Spokane, all right? But we're hard workers, right? And we like where we live. 
But being a part of a trade guild came with, uh, came with working benefits and it came with connections and training and career advancements, yet there were conditions. That to be a part of a trade guild, you had to join a system that society considered normal, but Jesus did not think was what society calls normal is good. Jesus looked at what they were doing and disagreed. Jesus tells us himself what is good. So Jesus looks at our society, at what is considered normal, and he tells us what he thinks. And that's what this letter is about. So Jesus first comes, and he, and he calls himself the, the Son of God, which means he's divine in nature, as opposed to the lady Jezebel in this letter, who calls herself a prophet, and, and has, calls herself a prophet, meaning that she thinks she has the words of God. Jesus comes directly out. He says, I'm from God the Father, which means he is divine and he actually has the authority with his words, right? He knows the truth and he speaks the truth. It's not his opinion, he speaks the truth. When, you begin, when we begin listening to the words of Jesus, when I, when I sit down and I, and I read the words of the Bible and I hear what Jesus has to say over and over and over again every day, I'm like being washed, I'm being cleansed by the word of God, it's easier and easier to recognize his voice, the voice of Jesus. You know your mother's voice, right? when your mom calls on the phone, even if you don't have the number, she's calling from some different number. It sounds like my mom. You know your dad's voice. You know your kid's voice. You know your friend's voice, right? Is the voice of Jesus foreign to you? Is it foreign to you? Do you know Jesus' voice? Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me, John chapter 10. When you know the voice of Jesus, uh, you also know uh, when somebody else who claims to be a prophet or a teacher of God is actually speaking the words of Jesus. You also know if they're speaking somebody or somebody, something else, somebody's words that aren't from God. So Jesus comes with authority, with the truth, and it says that Jesus has eyes like burning fire. Eyes like burning fire. I've never looked into somebody's eyes and saw burning fire. I don't know if you have before, possibly you took them to the hospital. But Jesus' eyes are burning fire. It's a two-way street here. It's a consuming fire. The eyes are like the window to the soul, right? But that which passes through fire gets consumed and gets destroyed unless it's a precious gem. Jesus cannot stand sin. It's not precious to him. It's the stench of death. Uh, so in the eyes of Jesus, he can't tolerate the evil and the wickedness. He's got a consuming fire in his eyes. But also, fire uh, produces light. Yeah, typically, fire produces light. So uh, this light, it goes out and pierces into darkness, exposing darkness for what it actually is. When you enter a room that's really dark and you can't see anything and you're sort of groping around, you don't know how reality is working. If the lights went out here, I'd be wandering out on stage and probably fall off the edge and because uh, I wouldn't have a, a good barometer. I wouldn't have a good bearing for where I am. I wouldn't have a good bearing for a reality. But when the lights come on, I can see. I can see reality. I could see where things are. I could see things with clarity and simplicity and truth. And this is what Jesus does. Jesus sheds light on the dark places, and even he sheds light in the recesses of my soul. Everything is clear to Jesus. Everything is laid bare before him. He, he understands the reality of things. Also, Jesus is described as having feet uh, of bronze here in this letter. That's uh, a glowing, burnished, uh, polished metal. Bronze is strong. Uh, an image that the trade workers, the guild workers would understand. Bronze, strong. Uh, his feet are hard, sturdy, 
immovable. We look at Jesus, he's no weakling here. He's immovable. He's strong. He's sturdy. He could, he could stand his ground, you could say. Uh, people aren't going to push him around. He's not going to show up and somebody's going to say something to him and he's going to go, eh, and run away. Uh, Jesus is strong. He's meek, which means his power is under control. He's not going to flip, flip out. He's strong. So this is, this is the Jesus we're talking about here. So this is, a, this is the Jesus we worship, right? I mean, this is, we come together as a church to worship Jesus Christ. So this is how he presents himself to this church here. So eyes burning fire, feet strong and immovable. Uh, we're dealing with a God who is very strong, right? And presents himself strong. And he says this thing here. Thyatira, I know your deeds. I know. I know your deeds. This is incredible to me. This small, seemingly insignificant inland church um, it's not operating in the dark. It's not operating without divine oversight. Jesus personally knows this church, this church of Thyatira. It's not, not there anymore, but Jesus knows it. He, he knows the things that they're doing. He knows the things they're doing well, the things they aren't doing well. And I think that principle transfers to us here today in the here and now. I'm telling you that Jesus not only knows the church at Calvary Spokane, he also knows our deeds, what we do as a church. He also knows the individuals in this church. He knows me by name. He says, uh, I know my sheep. They know me. They hear my voice. They obey me. Jesus knows the individuals in this church. He knows our deeds. He knows your deeds. He knows your deeds. Your deeds. Your deeds. He knows you. He knows you by name. He knows my deeds. He knows everything there is about me. He understands me better than myself. Perhaps it's time we take that serious look at the things that we do. We're about to see in, the let, in this letter that the patience of Jesus, his tolerance, his long-suffering, uh, has its limits for this church in Thyatira, and that's the same thing for us too. His patience to our sin has its limits. Well, we'll get into that in a bit. So he says, I know your deeds. Uh, and he starts out with the good things here. So Jesus starts out with some encouragement. He says, I know your love and faith, your servants and perseverance, and that you're doing more than you did at first. Um, and I'm sure this makes Jesus happy. I'm sure that, that the Father in heaven is, is smiling. Often I think of the different endeavors that we undertake. And as a church and the different things we get to do in our community, and I can't help but smile. Can't help but be glad. Can't help but be happy that people are doing the work of Jesus, that the kingdom of God is moving forward. It's, it's wonderful. I look, at, uh, I look at the REACH initiatives that we get to participate in. Uh, I look at uh, the youth in the surrounding area, the surrounding apartments and neighborhoods uh, that get to, to come here uh, in, a, in a safe and secure environment where they get to learn about Jesus, who is the actual only way to, to salvation and their only hope. Get to, we get to work with the children and tell them about God and the love of God and his kindness. Uh, people get to, to have their prayers answered. People come here for prayer, and we get to lift up prayers together. It's incredible to me. Our desire to understand and know the word of God and to obey it, it, it makes me happy. I'm just so, I'm so blessed to, to pastor here and uh, I know Ken is too, I know Jeff is too, I know Foy is too, I know all the pastors here are just so blessed that, that you guys do such amazing things in this community, and you're doing it more and more and more. 
So God looks at this church in Thyatira and he sees these good things. He sees that they have love. This is a love for God and a love for others, right? The greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus looks at them and sees their great love. He looks at them and he sees their faith. Just believing God, believing what God says to be true is true and placing your trust in him. Even when your, your culture gets out a megaphone and, and blasts in your face saying, you know, you're doing it wrong, you're stupid, you're intolerant, you're a simpleton, you're uneducated, you're uncultured, uh, faith, uh, faith in Jesus says, Jesus, what do you say again? What do you say is true? Put this, what these people say aside. Jesus, what do you say is true? And Jesus tells us what is true, and we obey it. And that's what they're doing in Thyatira here. They listen to Jesus. Jesus says, uh, that megaphone and that group of people is, is parading down the broad path, the broad path that leads to destruction. Um, but you, my good and faithful servant, are supposed to be going down the narrow path. So listen to me and choose the narrow path, path that goes to life. So this is what Jesus looks at with, with the church in Thyatira. He also sees their service, their good deeds, their good physical deeds for each other and for their community, helping their neighbor, especially considering uh, the scriptures that, that deal with taking care of widows, taking care of the fatherless. Uh, when I think of last month's REACH initiative as Mid-City Concerns, taking care of the elderly and the widows, and I think of this month, which is taking care of the fatherless, uh, again, it makes me happy, and I know it makes our Father happy in heaven. Uh, taking care of those who are oppressed and truly needy. I was reading in Proverbs chapter 31, it says, speak up for those who can't speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. I think of Job in Job chapter 29, verses 7 through 17. Job is just describing the way he carries on his life. He says, when I went to the gate of the city and took my seat in the public square, the young men saw me, stepped aside. The old men rose to their feet. The chief men refrained from speaking, covered their mouths with their hands. The voices of the nobles were hushed, and their tongues stuck to the roof of their mouths. Whoever heard me spoke well of me, and those who saw me commended me. Why? Because I rescued the poor who cried for help, and the fatherless who had no one to assist them. The one who was dying blessed me, and I made this widow's heart sing. I put on righteousness as my clothing, Justice was my robe and my turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. And I took up the case of the stranger and I broke the fangs of the wicked and snatched the victims from their teeth. And if you want to improve in service, you can take notes. Take notes from Job here. It's not complicated. There's only 10 things there that he did to, to serve in his community. It's not impossible especially when operating under the power and the guidance of the Holy Spirit and His provision. Those things are possible. So that was one of the reasons I love those, the REACH initiatives that we get to participate in, is we get to tackle those very things. And it uh, brings a smile to my heart and to my face. And then he says perseverance. Perseverance is never given up. It's never given up. We face daily as Christians uh, people spitting poison at us, people throwing stones at us, not literal, I'm using metaphors here, right? Uh, chucking javelins, shooting arrows, and the like. Uh, but we fix our eyes on Jesus. We are unswerving in the race that's marked out for us. Fix our eyes on Jesus. 
straight and narrow. We don't go this way. We don't go that way. We don't do whatever. Go that way. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the race that he's got marked out for us. And we, we go ahead, full force, decked in full array of the armor of God, with the ever-vigilant shield of faith securely positioned. We move ever onward to the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So this church in Thyatira are doing all these things, and they're doing them more and more. Love, service, faith, perseverance. I don't know about you guys, that sounds pretty good to me, right? That sounds pretty good to me. So it's like, high five, let's go home. Good job, Thyatira, we're doing a good job, let's get out of here. Let's end it on a high note, right? Uh, but Jesus has more to say. All this encouragement, he says, nevertheless, I have this against you. Come on, Jesus, man. We should just end it there. It's good enough, right? It's good enough for government work. Just end it there, right? Uh, no. What Jesus wants to address here uh, is too important for us to skip. Uh, a little yeast which leavens the whole batch, right? You get a little yeast in the dough, it gets throughout the whole thing. Uh, there's something going on in this church here that's that little yeast. There's something going on in this church here that's just, it's just a little bit of cancer, just a little bit of ferocious cancer, right? Um, it starts out small, but in time it consumes the body's vitality until the body collapses in death. It's a, it's a spiritual cancer here, spiritual cancer to the body of Christ, which if tolerated will invoke the wrath of Jesus Christ himself. It's something nobody wants to face. And this cancer addressed here, there's two things. I'm going to focus on one tonight. It's cancer of sexual immorality. Cancer of sexual immorality destroys the church. It does. Um, if you have cancer, the proper doctor, a good doctor, he identifies it, tells you about it, and he gives you the ability to find treatment, right? So Jesus, when we're talking about this in a, a spiritual sense, he's a good and proper doctor. He identifies it. He tells the church, here, you got this spiritual cancer, church, sexual immorality. And he tells them how to overcome proper treatments. To be honest with you, I was very much afraid to teach on this topic. Really, God? Me? Tonight? Are you sure? Yes. He was sure. Uh, he, he told me. And I was, I was afraid to teach for a couple, a couple reasons. One, I'm young and susceptible, and uh, especially to the sins of youth. Uh, another is that those who teach will be judged more strictly, so I'm always afraid to teach on things like this. Um, another part, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 12, if you, says, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Galatians 6, 1 says, if somebody's caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves you may also be tempted. Yeah. So, so I come to you. I, I'm not a guy who has arrogantly overcome sins of sexual immorality, but I'm a man who's been washed by the blood of Jesus. I received his gracious restoration for my sins, and it's all to his glory for his indescribable grace and his resurrection power in my life uh, to defeat both sin and death which follows. Statistically speaking, uh, many of you are likely caught up in this, the sin of sexual immorality, statistically speaking. So in the church, it's, statistics are similar uh, to society in general. I'm talking probably 50 to 75% of the men and something like three-quarters of the women view porn at least once a month or something like that. And so it's, it's pretty rampant throughout the church and throughout uh, our culture. It's something that we accept and think is okay. 
um, and it's something that's done in our culture as well. But what Jesus has for us is he wants us to face this. You might feel the, the compelling conviction uh, or the weight of the Holy Spirit that's, that this is in fact not good. This is, this is in fact a cancer in our body. Uh, and the temptation is either to uh, fall into just despair, shame, guilt, condemnation, uh, or to just put up the walls and say, nope, I'm not going to listen to you. Uh, denial. So we've got despair or denial. Uh, but what Jesus wants is repentance of heart. What he wants is restoration to proper relationship with God and man and a plan for recovery. That's what Jesus wants. Repentance, restoration, recovery. Getting into this verse a little bit more, this passage a little more. He says, you, so, nevertheless, I have this thing against you. What is this thing? You tolerate that woman Jezebel, calls herself a prophet, and by her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of foods sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent, but she's unwilling. So I'll cast her onto a bed of suffering, and I'll make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of their ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Wow. Uh, Jesus is love, right? <laughs> what is that? That's hard, man. The embodiment of love in person saying these hard things. I mean, he really doesn't pull any punches here. Uh, Jesus. Uh, but what Jesus says here is consistent with his character. He doesn't tolerate evil. He doesn't enjoy it. It's the stench of death in his nostrils. Jesus, even in other hard teachings, he describes hell as a present reality that awaits those who don't repent, and it's everlasting. Jesus describes that uh, for a person who teaches uh, so that another one falls into sin, it would be better for that person to have a, a huge stone hung around their neck and thrown into the sea. Uh, this, is our, this is Jesus, right? This is Jesus. This is our God of love. But he cannot tolerate sin. Because sin destroys those things that he loves. They kill the things that he loves. In contrast, the consistent and clear call of our culture is that we ought to be a tolerant people, willing to understand, possibly even and likely to meld our beliefs with other people's beliefs, to keep global peace and find the value in the beliefs of other people's, even if they contradict their own, and maybe you can change your mind. Uh, the banner that's waved is a banner of tolerance. But Jesus says, I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel and the things that she teaches. The tolerance of sexual immorality in the church is the very thing that Jesus will not tolerate. And if you want to see a picture of this in the Bible, uh, if you remember together with me the actions of Nehemiah, uh, the actions of Nehemiah in chapter 13. Nehemiah, the man of God, he looks out over his people and he learns that his, his men are intermarrying with the, the women of Ashdod uh, and Ammon and Moab. And uh, his, his reaction, he doesn't, he doesn't do a cover-up, he pulls them aside and he beats them and pulls out their hair. So we have a new ministry. We're going to start up. <laughs> the beating and pulling out hair ministry. Uh, no, we're not. Uh, but it's a picture of the severity of this issue. It's a big deal to God. It's a big deal. Now, I'm going to define sexual immorality, but before we get into what sexual immorality is, specifically the teaching of Jezebel, we're going to observe what sexual morality is, the positive expression. So we see both positive expressions and negative expressions of, of an ideal in Scripture often. 
uh, is sort of like the golden rule and the silver rule, if you've heard of them. The golden rule is to treat your neighbor as you would like to be treated. It's active. Do good to other people. The silver rule is the opposite, in a way. It says, don't treat your neighbor as you wouldn't want to be treated. It's inactive. It's restraining. Don't do bad. So there's the do good, positive, and the don't do bad, which is the negative aspect. And so it's the same thing with sexuality. So it's the same thing. There's a positive expression of sexuality, and there is only one. It's the coming together of one man, one woman, an exclusive sexual union under the security and blessing of marriage. So some of the scripture references for that, I'm not going to get into it. Genesis 1.27, you can write this down if you want, look it up later. Genesis 2.24, Matthew 19, 4 through 5, and how about you take a look at all of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So that's the positive expression. There's one way to go. But the negative expressions of sexuality are, uh, let's just say there's, there's a multitude. There's a plethora of them. Sexual immorality is kind of a catch-all term describing any deviation from the positive expression of sexuality. But to list some of the more common ones, here they are. Uh, fornication is the sexual, any sexual relation outside of marriage. Adultery. Sexual relations with a person married to someone other than you. Homosexuality. Sexual relations with someone of the same biological sex. Might note, regardless of what is legal. Incest. Sexual relations with a close relative. Orgies. Sexual relations in a group of people. Prostitution. Exchange of sexual relations for pay. Rape. Sexual relations with an unwilling or naive participant. Pornography sexual relations via the media. It's not an exhaustive list, unfortunately. It's not an exhaustive list. Um, but each of these things mentioned expresses uh, that these forms of sexuality are deviations from that which God has designed, uh, which he has engineered for the human body. So is this, is this really such a big deal? I mean, come on, Drew. It's a little hard. That's a, that kind of standard is really impossible. You can't follow that, Drew. You can't follow that. Um, so Jesus seems to think it's a big deal. Why? Uh, because any expression in my life is a form of worship. Worship is not just restricted to music. It's how we use our bodies every day. Obedience to Jesus with this body is worship to God through the Spirit of God. And disobedience to Jesus with this body is worship to someone or something else through some other spirit. Sexual expression, then, is worship. So the exclusive sexual relation between a husband and a wife under marriage is a form of spiritual worship because it's an action of the body, and it's to God by the Spirit of God. And any other form of sexual expression is also a form of spiritual worship but it's not worship to God, and it does not include the spiritual presence of the Holy Spirit. Today I say that the spirits behind sexual immorality are powerful, and they're, they're real, and they set themselves against, in opposition to, the Spirit of God. Um, you might be like, wow, that's like weird spiritual stuff going on there, Drew. I don't know about you. Okay, so I've got a story for you. It's kind of weird, but it has to do with a dream I had, um, so it's relatively appropriate. So. I'm going to go ahead and test it against the Word of God. 
So um, a while ago, I was facilitating a couple different ministries, uh, meeting at a coffee shop. And I was doing this for Jesus. I was doing ministry for Jesus. Um, and I'm, I was married at the time, but every time, this certain, this certain girl, this certain barista who was working there, uh, she would always try to flirt with me. She would uh, smile and try to, you know, talk real nice and smooth, and she would give me extra punches on the punch card thing. Like, it was all creepy for me. I, was, I didn't know what to do. I just tried to, like, keep conversation to a minimum and then, like, not make eye contact and run away, basically, every day. Um, uh, and I also I would pray and ask God for help. Uh, but one night I had a dream. So this beautiful Mediterranean woman, clothed in purple, walking towards me. The room was ornate, tall marble pillars, and as she came to me, she started to disrobe. I woke up immediately, thank God. I woke up immediately, and I thought to myself, what was that? It felt so real. What was that? And as I was praying, uh, I felt the Lord saying to me, it's the woman Jezebel, and she's coming for you. I was like, Jezebel, who is that? So I had to look it up a little bit, interestingly enough for me. So anyways, I prayed. I asked God, you know, do whatever's necessary to protect me, protect my wife, protect my marriage, uh, all these sort of things. Like, I need your help, God, because if she's coming for me, then, then you need to punch her in the face or do something to get rid of her. I don't know. Anyways, that week, that week, the leader of both of these ministries, they called me up different days to let me know, hey, I feel like the Lord's telling me that we should uh, stop the ministry and, you know, put it down for, you know, for the summer or whatever and uh, maybe start it up some other day. So both of them on different days that week got to me and told me that. And I was like, amen. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with you. Let's do that. First uh, Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Thank God. Thank God. The same spirits in Thyatira are around today. And they're demonic. And I don't want you participating with demons which is why we're teaching through this. Don't, I don't want you participating with demons through sexual immorality. So, but let's go back to Thyatira here. We have an interesting situation with this woman, Jezebel. The common practices in the trade guilds would uh, be to have gatherings of worship and uh, to the idols and the gods of the specific trade. You would go to uh, a temple, and part of the ritual would, be, uh, would include the rite of passage uh, and getting the blessing from the priestess uh, who would be a prostitute. So you would engage, you would engage in prostitution and sexual relations with a prostitute. Um, and it was sort of like signing your, it was like your new paperwork, new hire paperwork, or your renewal, your monthly contract sort of thing, is you would have to have sexual relations with a prostitute. Um, so this woman Jezebel, the church in Thyatira, was likely teaching this following thing. She was likely going to, to the church and saying, okay, since you have to participate in sexual relations with a temple prostitute in order to serve at the trade guilds, I'll serve as the prostitute for the church, okay? And that way, you don't have to go to the temple prostitute. You can have sexual relationships uh, with a Christian priestess uh, where you can receive God's blessing and still participate in the trade guilds. And everybody says, what? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Nehemiah would be punching people in the face right now. Right? I'm uh, pulling out hair. It's like if somebody were to, to come to our church today and be like, hey, I want to start an adultery ministry uh, where I sleep with other people and I give them a blessing so that they can see in their businesses uh, and fit in at work. And the, what Thyatira was doing was saying, well, we're not going to call it a church ministry, but you, kinda, you can do this on your own thing. That's fine. What are you talking about? 
No. And Jesus hated this. Jesus held this against the church. Even though not everybody was participating, they still tolerated this woman. They tolerated sexual immorality. And we can't be a church, men and women, uh, that turns a blind eye towards this issue, towards sexuality. I'm going to talk a little bit about porn here, but statistics show that uh, three out of every four men in a given church and one out of every three women view porn on, on any given month. That's half the church. Man, Jesus, purify your bride. I pray that all the time. Jesus, protect me. Jesus, purify your bride. Uh, some people think of porn as a release. Now I just have to do it. I have to you know, get a release. But it couldn't be further from the truth. It's not a release. It's a chain. And your, your participation is your willing part to slavery. Not to mention your participation is your promotion of an institution that subjects uh, women and children and the sex trafficking industry. It's willing participation and support of that. And if you can't not do something, you're a slave. So these are spiritual forces. They're keeping you in bondage. You're powerless to overcome in your own strength. Jesus knows our deeds. He knows our needs as a church. And he hates tolerance of sexual immorality. But he went to the cross. He set the captives free. He washes us clean of our impurity. And he forgives all of our sins. And he sets us on a course for holiness that is attainable. It's not impossible. It's attainable with the power of Christ. But in this church in Thyatira, Jesus' patience for this woman Jezebel was running thin. She refused to repent. This is interesting. Jesus gave even this woman who was doing this, he gave her time to repent. He gave her time to repent. But she refused. So Jesus is going to cast her on a bed of sickness and kill her children dead. This is hardcore punishment. Jesus isn't messing around here. And anybody else who didn't repent would suffer greatly as well. I mean, we see this. This is harsh coming from Jesus who is love. But we also see that he's merciful. He's giving them time. And he's telling them that you can repent. You can change. You have time. And he offers us the power to do so. I found often in my life that the, when I'm in, in some sort of sin, God warns me. And then he, he warns me again. And then he gives me a swat on the nose. And then the, the hammer comes down. <laughs> the hammer comes down and I have a real problem when I don't listen to him. Uh, we need to learn to heed the verbal warming, warnings of God. So today is a verbal warning. Well, it's a verbal warning. Um, don't think that because your sins have yet to catch up with you that God will tarry forever. Romans 2, 4, and 5 says, Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. And when his, righteousness, his righteous judgment will be revealed then. So it's a call for repentance today. If you would like to repent, if you would like to change course, go 180 degrees, I mean, today is the day of salvation. If you're weighed down by the guilt and shame, bearing the burden of condemnation, hearing that voice say, ah, oh, you're a porn addict, you're an adulterer, you're a cheater, you're a fornicator, you're dirty, you're worthless, you're scum, if you're hearing that voice of condemnation, man, Jesus has come to me. I'll give you rest. He'll speak life into you. If you think there's no hope, 
If you think it's beyond fixing in your life, then read 1 Corinthians 6.11. In reference to sexual immorality, Paul says, this is what some of you were. Well, maybe you were yesterday. Maybe you were a month ago. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So uh, after service, after I pray, uh, we do some worship songs. I'm going to have uh, uh, Foy and Linda come up, and they can pray with anybody who wants to pray. I'll be over on this side. Uh, Tammy, this is totally spur of the moment, but if you'd like to be over here and pray with anybody, um, there's, we're going to have people available to pray, to get right, to heed the call to repentance, um, to be washed, uh, and to find the power and the strength of God to overcome this. We gotta pray. Why? Ephesians 6, 12 says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So we gotta pray, because that's our only real good tool to get this done. That's what we gotta do. So for the rest of you that don't struggle with this, Jesus says to the church in Thyatira, to the rest of you, I'm not gonna burden you with anything else, okay? So we'll just move on. But for me, I'm going to burden you with something else. So here's what it is. Uh, would you consider committing to just one day of fasting and prayer for this? Just one day, fasting and prayer for the sexual purity of Calvary Spokane. So that we want to be effective for the kingdom of God, and I think this will actually help. This will actually do something. Put it on your personal calendar, please. Pray that we would be purified and set free. So I give you permission, if you want to get your phones out right now, put it on your phone, a day of fasting and prayer for the sexual purity of Calvary Spokane. Do it, okay? Do it. I give you permission. Go. Um, and there's some practical things. Just, I mean, for men, there's some practical things the Lord has done in my life to help me in this area. Uh, some real practical things that have helped. Um, one thing I didn't even realize that the Lord did for me, but he did, is uh, he gave me a stupid phone, not a smartphone. So all it does is text and send phone calls. So uh, if I ever get lost and don't have a map, then I'm actually really lost. But uh, stats say one out of every five searches on a smartphone is uh, in search of porn. 20% of every, every yeah, man, of all the searches, so if the smartphone, if you're like, oh man, but the smartphone is an extension of my right hand, I can't get rid of it. Consider Jesus' words that it would be better to get rid of a hand than to be thrown into hell. So if it's actually a problem for you, uh, maybe you need to deal with that. Um, another thing that I do is uh, I use a, a combination of scripture verses as computer passwords. So when I'm on the computer, I type in these passwords uh, if it's not already saved on my computer, type in these passwords and, and they're reminders to me. So one of them is Psalm 113, which says, I will set before my eyes no vile thing. So that's a good reminder as I'm on the computer and I'm typing that up. I'm like, oh yeah, no vile thing. There we go. Um, I, <laughs> this is interesting enough because Lee asked me if I was going to do a PowerPoint today, but I stopped doing PowerPoints because even when I look on Google for, like, the cross pictures, there's porn on there. What? Come on. Really? So I stopped doing PowerPoints, by the way. Sorry about that. Um, 
Another thing that Lord has allowed me to do, uh, which has actually been freeing, is I, oh, man, with movies, I've always watched movies from start to beginning. I'm a completionist. I got, if I start something, I gotta finish it, even if it's a terrible movie I shouldn't watch. But I found the power to hit the power button on there. So that movie sucks. Psst, off, you're done. So, I mean, it's okay. It's actually freeing. You don't waste two hours. You only waste like 30 seconds. Uh, other than that, you might seriously consider, gentlemen uh, and ladies, putting porn blockers on your phones, tablets, and computers. Uh, most importantly, uh, anytime something comes up, you should pray. Let's pray in your heart, pray in your mind. Lord, help me. God, help me. Lord, help me. We got to be people of prayer, continually praying for this. Um, but if you don't want to repent and you kind of set all these things up for show, you'll secretly uh, find a way to get around it. You will. Um, so, I mean, for example, in a different sort of way, uh, I have high cholesterol. I know I don't look like it, but I do. And so that's what the test said. So I don't know about that. But anyways, so my wife had suggestions, you know, with about oatmeal and different things like that, uh, which sound horrible, uh, <laughs> on how that I could become healthier. Uh, and, but she, she knows that if I want zips, she can't actually stop me. <laughs> I'm going to go get some zips. Uh, uh, it's same sort of thing. You know, you find, you, you have these problems, you put these blockers in the way, but if your heart isn't really repentant, you're going to find a way. So this is for the repentant at heart, right? So he who has an ear, let them hear what the Spirit says to Calvary Spokane today. Calvary Spokane tonight. So I'm going to close this up in prayer right now. We're going to have uh, uh, Foy and Linda and then Tammy come up, and I'm going to be over here uh, ready to pray for people. Anybody wants to come down, uh, get some prayer, get right with God. Uh, the rest of you, mark down in your calendars, please, a day that you would be pray praying and fasting. Uh, don't tell anybody about it. Keep it secret. It's between you and God. And I think some good things will happen. So let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we just praise you and thank you, God. Thank you for, you, for your kindness and your grace. Uh, and thank you for your patience, God. Uh, your patience with us. You, you've been long-suffering uh, for some of us for a long time. And uh, we thank you for that, God. And we, we desire Jesus uh, to be in right relationship with you. We desire, God, to desire the things that you want for us. Uh, we want healing. We want washing. We want purifying, God. Uh, we want freedom. We want, we want to be set free. So we ask this, Jesus. You would help us as a church, Lord, that you would purify us, uh, that we would be a bright, shining, radiant bride uh, ready for you to come get us uh, and take us home. So uh, we pray this, Lord Jesus, and ask for your help, God, and thank you for your loving kindness. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.